Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Rohan Acharya, and welcome to The Queen Podcast. I'm taking a deep dive back through the history and music of Queen. Over the coming weeks and months, I'm going to be re-listening to the entire back catalogue one side at a time, or, if you're a millennial, half an album at a time. I'm starting at the very beginning, and if you're up for coming along for the ride, I'm hoping to get all the way up to the present day. Along the way, we'll be hearing some rare and unreleased material, interviewing the people who were there, and sharing with you the glorious music of the greatest band of all time. With me on this journey are Queen expert Simon Lupton and comedians and fans Suze Kempner and John Robbins. In this Episode Zero special, we're chatting about how we all got into Queen. We'll still hear a few tunes along the way, of course, so sit back, strap in, and let us entertain you. Welcome to Queen Pod. With first of all, we've got uh, the woman who did an entire one-woman comedy show called Queen about her relationship with Queen. It's Suze Kempner. Hello, Hello Suze. How are you? Hi. I'm good, thank you. I prefer not to remember that show, but it's nice that someone does. Oh, did it go badly? <laughs> <laughs> Only in my memories. I've seen wonderful, wonderful reviews for that show. <laughs> uh, we also have joining us. Uh, the maker of incredible Queen documentaries like Days of Their Lives, uh, that recent Queen and Adam Lambert, The Show Must Go On, which is an incredible piece, and he compiled uh, uh, the book Freddie Mercury, A Life in His Own Words. It's Mr Simon Lupton. Hello, Rohan. Hello, Simon. Hello. I know you did that with other people. Yeah, yeah, it's not all me. but So um, I'm not giving you all credit. No, thank you for that. The, the others did far more than me, but I will take any glory that there is available. But you're an authority. I'm calling you an authority on Queen. Oh, blimey. Okay. Uh, and then we have the mighty John Robbins, who's such a renowned fan that if he wasn't on this podcast, we'd probably get inundated with emails asking us why John Robbins isn't on this podcast. How are you, John? <laughs> I'm good, thank you, man. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, Queen was your specialist subject on Mastermind, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, speaking Too of things soon? don't want to be reminded of... Um, <laughs> Perhaps the slight disparity between the difficulty of the questions asked to me and those asked to former leader of the Liberal Democrats, Tim Farron. But um, I'm still awaiting a response to my written letter to the makers of uh, Celebrity Mastermind. That's not been forthcoming, so we're just going to let it lie. I think they're going to be repeating it because of the lockdown. Um, 
Uh, and then there's me. I'm Rohan Acharya. I am literally just your average, run-of-the-mill, basic Queen fan. That is what I am. Um, so either you have heard our episode one, or you're giving this episode zero a go, uh, because like us, you're a completist and have to start at the very, very beginning. Um, so what we thought we'd do is sort of tell you how this Queen pod got started, um, and uh, also uh, how we kind of got into Queen. Does that sound like a good plan, guys? Yeah. Um, Meet the band. <laughs> Meet the band, yeah. exactly. So uh, so we're recording this together over video call because of the COVID-19 lockdown. Uh, there's an apocalypse happening. So uh, if there are some odd sounds that you hear and some weird sound flubs, it will be because of that, but we've done our best to get as good a sound as we can i live next door to classical pianists and i've told them to shut up so hopefully we'll be okay also cats uh, at least three of us have cats um and that could turn into a problem name the cats um, rohan well mine's tumbles but uh Suze, what are your cats called they're called freddie mercury and brian may <laughs> which is weird because i wasn't into queen when we named them <laughs> <laughs> ah, good old jokes <laughs> yeah, that, that that is important to have. So, uh, I guess when I was about 15, I could list the entire Queen catalogue in release order from memory. It's why I spent my journaling classes, I'd sit at the back, just writing out the whole thing from memory. I can't do that. It's been ages since I properly listened to the albums. And when this, uh, when this lockdown came in, I just thought, do you know what, I'm actually going to take myself through the Queen albums properly again I haven't done that in a long time and then I thought well actually I would like to talk to people about that um, and so I reached out to John and Suze and I discussed it also with Simon. Um, Simon what was your take on it then? Well I thought it was a really good idea because I'm always incredibly envious of anyone who is new to Queen um, and now gets the opportunity to go on that journey through all those albums that if you were doing it at the time, it took you 20 years for them to release them. But now you can almost binge listen to Queen and see the the evolution of the band and the growth of the band over that 20-year period in as however long you want to take. Um, but I think for so many people, Queen are the greatest hits albums, and there is so much more to it than that. There are so many great tracks out there that uh, people won't have heard so when you suggested that we dive back start at the very beginning and go through side by side all those albums and re revisit some of those tracks that perhaps we've not listened to for a long time I thought what a great thing to do because we could all pretend that we've not done it before <laughs> and but at the same time for those of you who have been there and listened to the albums a hundred times you will have memories of what those songs mean and the emotions that they they get and I think that will be I'm looking forward to hearing from uh, my fellow podcasters here uh, those those stories and memories because the songs are the same but they mean something different to all of us I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And John, I I, I honestly don't know if you can remember this but I literally pounced upon you as you were going into Pleasance Beyond uh, or was it Pleasance Beneath? It doesn't matter. In the Pleasance Courtyard at the Edinburgh Festival and just sort of said, hello, I am also a Queen fan. Hello, uh, and then randomly six months later, do you want to do a thing um, uh, about Queen? I don't know what your 
Was that just a weird thing that happened, or were you kind of just chill about it? Well, it depends when you whether you caught me before the show or afterwards, because if it was before the show, I'd have been very focused on uh, getting into my dressing room. If it was after the show, I'd been very focused on getting to the pub. <laughs> I, there have been times in Edinburgh when I've got to the pub nearest the venue before my audience. So they've come out of the show, wandered to the pub, gone there and seen me drinking at the bar and done a sort of insane double take. Um, but my, my record is six minutes uh, from, uh, from, my, from bowing to uh, drinking. Um, no, I'm, I mean, I, I, I've spent a lifetime trying to get Queen into every conversation I've ever had. So to actually have a conversation where the point is to talk about Queen is sort of all a bit too exciting for me because <laughs> uh, I'm usually sort of trying to crowbar them in, whereas now it's just carte blanche. And yeah. I'm also really excited to have Simon with access to some... When when we say deep cuts, we're talking about album tracks. When Simon says deep cuts, he's talking about stuff that most people doesn't know exist or have maybe never seen before. So I can't wait to see what he comes up with over the next, well, 30, 40 sides of Queen that we're going to go through. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Suze, I literally rocked up to a gig you were doing with some mates of mine and sort of went, hello, I want to do a Queen podcast. Would you do it? And... You went, yeah, and then I forgot to... I was so excited, I just <laughs> forgot to stay for your actual set. <laughs> <laughs> you chose wisely. That was a video games gig, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I used to own the Queen video game. The Queen. Yeah, yeah. It came with like this amazing book that had all the artwork for the game in it as well. Yeah. So what there did you we have to do in linked. it? It was like an RPG. I don't think it was very good. <laughs> it was be- it was all beautiful um, artwork though. It was one of those point oh. and click. And the objective was to form the band. No, it had nothing to do with Queen. It had music by Queen in it and artwork inspired by the Queen right. aesthetic and their right. musical aesthetic. But See, these I... are the nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> these are the, these are the nuggets that, that that John was just talking about. Um, so I think. Um, what we should do is just go round and... I've actually got... Sorry to interrupt. I've just got no, to no. my right my old fan club magazines. And I think I've got a, an answer to a question Brian May gave about Queen the Eye. <laughs> which has been typed out in such a weird way that it makes him sound completely insane. W- would you like me to get it for you? Yes. Yeah. Of course. Hang on yes. one second. More than anything. <laughs> So, I that went didn't through... didn't take you very long, John. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you have all your uh, Queen fan club magazines right next to you? <laughs> oh, I can't believe it's the first one I've picked up. That is genuinely true. <laughs> so, this is from a press conference in Cologne in November 1997. And this is my fan club magazine from that year. Um, and they're talking about... Um, uh, various things it's quite a general one uh, but they're talking about this is before the eye came out so someone says to someone asks Roger and Brian uh, are you very into video games <laughs> and Roger says uh, I'm not but I think Brian is <laughs> and then Brian answers now 
I think it's down to the way it's been punctuated and written, but I'm just going to say this is as it's written in the fan club magazine. Brian. Certain ones I am. I'm not very into beat them up. I find it too boring and not skillful enough to get into. I like Doom. I think it's a fantastic game because you feel like you're really there. And for kids, they get really scared. You know Doom? Ah, Doom is fantastic. There's lots of blood, but you really feel you're there. And you go around these dark corridors and you're actually in the points of view. Graphics. And if something happens to you really, you really get scared. I think this game, I sure will be brilliant. But it's not something which we've worked directly on in the development of. It's called The Eye. Wow. Wow. It sounds like it was like written in Google Translate. <laughs> well, I think that is that's a direct what... translation. That's amazing. I think that's what's happened is because it was in Cologne. I think that has been translated out of the German and then typed up pretty badly. But much respect to everyone working in the fan club, and I was uh, delighted to join as a uh, as an eleven year old. I would have been. Oh. That's brilliant. It truly blows my mind that you literally have that at your fingertips. <laughs> a, knowledge in your head, and B, physically at your fingertips. <laughs> well, that was, was at, unplanned. When I was at school, I used to carry around my fan club magazines with me in case I ever needed to reference them. I mean, that, I never, this is the first time I've ever actually needed to reference the fan club That's magazines. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, potentially in case you needed friends. What was happening there? <laughs> well, did you tell people you were carrying your fan magazines in your bag? With you? Well, wait until a bit later on when I show you what oh, I was yeah, carrying yeah, them in. We will. Yeah. We will. So I think what we're going to do is just go around and tell each other how we got into Queen. Which is how you become a Queen fan. Um, so, Suze. Yeah. Where did Queen start to become a thing for you? Well, people in my immediate family have memories of me very loudly singing Killer Queen age four on my grandma's lawn. Um, which kind of tells you everything you need to know about me. <laughs> and also is um, a sign that uh, the sort of family I come from that no one thought it was inappropriate that I was singing Killer Queen as a four-year-old girl. Probably nude. Um, so, yeah, we just... I had, it was in the house already. Like, I can't take credit for discovering uh, Queen myself. We already had it in the house. One of the... We had about five CD singles in the house through the whole of the 90s, and one of them was The Miracle, which uh, the B-sides were Stone Cold Crazy and a live version of My Melancholy Blues. Oh, yeah. So I grew up with it. It was they. It was already in the house. I think we had jazz on vinyl. Did you have that weird hologrammy one? Was it a, a was it a tape single or a? a it was a, vinyl a CD. Single? It was a CD. Oh, it was a CD. Single. You did. Yeah, say. 19, 1989. I yeah. had the vinyl single that had like this weird sort of holographic, as if that facial image wasn't weird enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. Right. Okay. Put a holographic weirdness on top of that. <laughs> So yeah, um, grew up with so, them. So was it your parents that that were Queen nuts and? Yeah, yeah. It's the Brilliant. only reason because I was six when Freddie died, and I 
remember that really vividly because it was on the news. It feels like it was on the news all day, but I'm sure it was just on like two news items that Freddie Mercury had died. And my parents were like, it was a big deal in our house that he died. So by osmosis, it was a big deal for me as well. Yeah, yeah, that was a big deal. Yeah. So now move over and let me take over with my melancholy blues. Conversely, when I was growing up, uh, I wasn't really allowed to listen to pop music. I'm uh, I was born here, but my parents are Indian, and so they said I could listen to Indian classical music, uh, which is the worst sound for me subjectively. I'm not saying that for the world, but <laughs> Bengali classical music has become a torture device that my mother still throws upon me. Um, uh, or I had, I, I was allowed to listen to the Super Trooper album by ABBA, and that was it. So um, uh, when I was about I think 12 or 13, I started saving up vouchers on the back of um, uh, 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 Rice Krispies boxes uh, to get a splash-proof Walkman. It took me ages to get the splash-proof Walkman that wasn't waterproof, it was just splash-proof, uh, and uh, it had play, stop, and fast-forward. And my mate Martin Schiff uh, made a tape uh, of a live magic for me and it was the first music I could listen to without my parents knowing what I was listening to and at that age 13 12 13 I was had those headphones on and I literally listened to it all day every day on repeat and then I started to save up my money uh, that you know a little bit of pocket money that was for sweets every week I, I'd save up to start purchasing Queen albums instead. Um, and again, that would take me absolutely months. So as I got each Queen album, I'd listen to that new Queen album over and over and over until I then got the next one. So each album would be listened to all day, every day, on repeat, uh, to, uh, you know, for maybe two two months uh, before I then, maybe less so with the Flash Gordon album, but with all the other albums, I'd listen to them endlessly. Um and it just sort of became such a huge obsession for me. I did all that stuff of getting a scrapbook, and uh, I got the I, I got all the albums again on 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 vinyl. Obviously, my collection was on tape because it was all on Walkman. But um, I then got it all on vinyl, and then I got it all on. Um, uh, uh, I got all the I got all the scores. <laughs> Went to Books Bits of Bobs in Kingston every Wednesday, and just sort of tried to get as much Queen stuff as I could. Um, and that's. And then from there, because they're so eclectic, they actually introduced me to kind of all music. So I sort of discovered Atlantic Soul. I discovered just stuff like U2 and um, Metallica. I mean, pretty much everything because, you know, I properly got into the Beatles. And uh, yeah, they introduced me to all the music. And frankly, they got me through puberty. Body language. Body language. Body language. Simon, how did you get into Queen? Well, my story is a bit similar to Susie's, really, in that. Um, uh, so, as as the elder statesman of this group, um, I was in my teenage years throughout the eighties. Um, so Queen was still uh, doing their thing and releasing stuff. And actually, it was my sister who was massively into them, and I had an aunt as well. Who so 
Queen music was always sort of being played and sort of by osmosis I started to sort of get into it um, and was very envious when they, they went off to see Queen at Nebworth in the Magic Tour um, and I wasn't able to go. Um, but I looked back through my record collection and realised that actually Queen had been there all the time. For example, I had a seven-inch vinyl of um, Somebody to Love, which I'd either been given or must have bought when I was really young. And um, being a child of the 70s and Star Wars coming along sort of massively into science fiction, so f the Flash Gordon album was, was seminal for me. Um, <laughs> cause, uh, so that had, that had been there. And so I then went, did the deep dive back into the, the catalogue. And I think the thing I discovered from that was any kind of music I needed or wanted, no matter what mood I was in or what emotion I was feeling, I could find somewhere in the Queen catalogue. So it was like, it was a one-stop place for me for music. I didn't need to listen to any others because everything I could yeah. possibly want was there. And um, so I was hugely into them and joined the fan club and wanted to know everything about them. Uh, that was who I was at school. I was the guy that was into Queen. So everybody who knew me sort of knew that that's what I was into. And I think the most clearest memory I have is in 1989, going to the Queen fan club convention at Canva Sands, very glamorous. Uh, and um, Canva Sands is lovely, but the holiday camp we were in wasn't at the time. And um, <laughs> we all sat in the big ballroom. There's well over a thousand Queen fans. And we were the first ones they publicly played the Miracle album too. So we all sat there and just listened to the album as they played it for the first time. Um, not the band, of course, but, you know, it was we were allowed to listen to it. And they showed the video for I Want It All. And I'm sure any other fans around that time will remember that yeah, Queen hadn't done anything for a good couple of years at that point. And there were loads of rumours flying around that they were either finished or they had kind of abandoned their rock roots and gone into pop and commercial success and so forth. So to sit there with all those other Queen fans and see I Want It All and Freddie looking great when you know we had that beard and they were thrashing a sort of proper rock track. It's sort of... We were all looking at each other and nodding and going, yeah, they're back. It's all going to be wow. OK. Mm. And I said to the friends I was with, I said, right, the next time these guys go on tour, I'm going to just I'm going to follow them all the way around wherever they go. And of course, they never did. But um, I've kind of made up for it after that. And, um, you know, I certainly saw Brian a few times when he was on tour and so forth. And I've seen them. With Paul Rogers, I've seen them with Adam, but I think if I have one regret, it's I never got to see them, mm. the four of them, when they were in their, you know, at their peak. That would have been amazing. Have but mm. um, they're still my go-to music, you know. Still, when whatever I need, can find it in the Queen catalogue. I think that that regret probably unites us all. How did you get into Queen? Well, while Simon was uh, listening to I Want It All for the first time in Camber Sands, I would have been seven years old, maybe six, sat at home seeing an advert on the TV with a load of guys on top of a train and then <laughs> all of their faces melding into one. And I remember thinking to myself, it's one of my earliest memories. I don't have many memories of being very young, but 
I vividly remember thinking, oh, I don't like that's loud music. I don't like that loud music. <laughs> but unbeknownst to me, that was the music that I liked when my mum played it in the car and in the uh, kitchen. She had a copy of uh, A Kind of Magic on tape. But it wasn't... So all this stuff sort of in the background that I was listening to, but not really knowing what I was listening to. And then when Freddie died, I would have been uh, nine. Uh, no, I would have been... Yeah, I would have been nine. And it just... I'd always been quite uh, sort of obsessive as a kid, I guess, like collecting anything. Like I would get all of my pocket money changed into 20p's because I was collecting 20p's and then the next week <laughs> I'd want it all in 10p's because I was collecting 10p's. And so Queen were my first musical obsession, but it was also my first introduction to music brackets general. And it just, it just went crazy. And I remember lining up as I got late, say I'd get one for birthday, one for Christmas, lining up all the parlophone um, tapes with the little gold um, uh, sleeves so you'd have like a chunk of gold and then the name of the album and I think the, the order I got them was Queen's Great Sits 2 and then Sheer Heart Attack and then I sort of went round through the albums so it, though Great Hits 2 was my first album it was still I was sort of dotting around not really knowing where they came from and I just got so obsessed with them that by the time I went to secondary school, you know, the big debate was Blur versus Oasis. <laughs> and in the in the same way Simon said that he was the guy at school who was into Queen, well, imagine how uncool it is when that's you in 1995-96, <laughs> when everyone's talking about park life and what's the story, Morning Glory... And you're kind of going, uh, yes, but um, did you know that uh, the 12 inch of uh, Invisible Man single is actually invisible because they released it in, in see through vinyl? <laughs> and I had a music teacher, I'll never forget, called Mr. Bradshaw, who was just really cool. And he got me into uh, two things. He got, well, he sort of introduced me into more Queen. He, he made me a, a compilation of like early rarities and stuff, like smile stuff. And also he made me um, a tape of On The Hour, the radio satire <laughs> show. So I was a, I would have been 12, 13, listening to Queen and On The Hour. And so from those two places, my two main interests of, of Queen and comedy basically came from two tapes that were given to me by my music teacher, Mr Bradshaw. Um, and it led to the unfortunate uh, moment where he was trying to include some of the... Um, uh, how to put it, bigger boys in the class who were sort of weren't very well behaved. And he wanted, so he, he said, what music are you into? And they were into happy hardcore and rave. Uh, so I, I attempted to try and prove that Queen had invented rave in the opening six seconds of Ogre Battle. Because, um, you know, there's that bit where it sort of sounds all crazy. Um, so I... I've tried and failed to to bring even a lesson about rave specifically tweeted at <laughs> making these kids engage in music. I still tried to get that into Queen. And, That's um, incredible. Yeah, it, and then I guess when I went to uni, though I was still could bring you a Queen fact at any given time about anything, 
it sort of lay dormant until I, as I was getting into other music and more contemporary music that I could go and watch. And then when I started doing the radio show with Ellis, he would tease me about my obsession with Queen. And then it all sort of started again. And one of the great upsides of that is that, you know, we've got about 300 podcasts of me and him out there. There is not a single event or product or TV show that is made about Queen anywhere in the world that someone doesn't tweet me about. So I've essentially got a Google alert for Queen without actually having needing to set it up myself. So they recently released some Queen socks. And within five minutes of the press release of the socks hitting the internet, I was getting app messages about it. I'm still getting them now and I don't mind. So I, I probably get now about 20 things a day saying, have you seen these Queen socks? And that will go down to to 10 and then to maybe one a day and then in the years to come it'll probably be once every six months someone will say have you seen these queen socks that's <laughs> extraordinary so people think you might actually be into queen as well they've kind of they've kind of picked that up <laughs> i talked about it so much on radio x which was not a queen based station but i when they they did a a poll called best of british uh when me and ellis were still on radio x I think it was it may have even have been XFM at the time. And I obviously was flying the flag for Bohemian Rhapsody because I wanted the most popular Queen song to get to the top of this poll. The the he, the top brass at Radio X found this very troublesome because it didn't fit in with their playlist because they didn't actually play any Queen. <laughs> so the first time they did Best of British, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, I think I can say this without betraying any confidence, got to number one. But they had a meeting where they had to decide to kind of fix the results because this didn't fit in with a station that played just Oasis and Blur and like uh, Kings of Leon and stuff. So they knocked it down to nine. <laughs> so the second time <laughs> they did nine? it. Yeah, I, I did a, a pretty fervent campaign and Bohemian Rhapsody got to one and this time they couldn't ignore it. So they then had to include Queen on the Radio X playlist because their listeners had proved that it was their favourite track. And I count that as an enormous personal victory that I was responsible for getting... Because anyone who's worked in radio knows the playlist is sacred. No one can mess around with the playlist. But to suddenly go from Arctic Monkeys to introducing Hammer to Fall, <laughs> after years of not being allowed to play any, um, I was really, really pleased with that. Oh, that is excellent. That's missionary work, that. <laughs> that is phenomenal work. I'm so impressed. I'm so, so impressed. When well, you were talking about um, what it was, I was 15, I guess, uh, uh, when all that Britpop stuff was, uh, Brit rock was kicking off. And yeah, it was not cool to be a Queen fan. And I, I, I was stuck out on this um, German exchange. There was this party out in Cologne. That I've been to with all these, I've gone to with all these kids, and again, very sheltered upbringing. I hadn't really been to a, 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 you know, a teen party before, and they asked me to put on a track. And so, in the middle of all of this really cool music, I did put on the entire uh, twelve inch of Invisible Man. Uh, to, and the way they dealt with that was they formed an enormous circle and made me dance to it entirely on my own in the <laughs> middle of that circle for the entire length of that, which is about 12 minutes long. I'm the invisible, invisible, invisible man. 
what I thought would be a good thing would be like um you know one treasured sort of queen fact about you and how in in terms of how queen relates to you Suze, what's your queen fact about you okay it's quite a embarrassing one that says a lot about me i sang at the end of year 6 so my primary school ended in year 6 and on the last day i sang friends will be friends a cappella because <laughs> I didn't know the concept of backing tracks or accompanying myself at the piano existed yet uh, so I sang Friends Will Be Friends for the whole class and they treated it like I'd um, sort of done a big <laughs> on the table and I carried this with me for five years so at the Leavers concert in year 11 I went time to change that memory and I sang Friends Will Be Friends at the Leavers concert accompanied myself on the piano and was greeted with dull applause so I changed wow. the energy of that song. Brilliant. That's 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 the same. <laughs> that is the same as John's thing with the you know the Radio X playlist. It's <laughs> the same level of power. It's an incredible thing. So you embarrassed yourself twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Phenomenal. the second time it was mediocre. So <laughs> <laughs> the only way was up. <laughs> friends will be friends. It might be worth uh, just pointing out to listeners, if you heard a little uh, clip of Freddie there, that's what gets played every time we swear. Oh, yeah. Uh, which we thought would be uh, oh, yeah. a nice little uh, way to keep it clean, but also keep it fun. Because <laughs> you've got Fred. How could you not? No. Um, I guess the one that I've been thinking about was... Um, uh, it's that relationship with uh with them playing like that thing that simon was talking about about never having got to see fred um about two uh about two days before so yeah when fred passed it was a it was of course it was massive it was at the height of my uh you know uh queen obsession i was that kid at school like the rest of us that was the queen guy when everyone else wasn't and um you know even, even the guys at school were kind of you know, they took it easy on me for a few days. They weren't <laughs> laughing at me, you know what I mean? And and incredibly, about two days before the Freddie Mercury tribute, this German kid, a friend of a friend, suddenly went, uh, I've got a ticket to the concert. I'm, like, I'm, I'm not allowed to go. Would, would you take it? Uh, and so at the age of 15, I went to my first ever live gig. I'd never been to a live concert of any kind um, other than, you know, some business with a harmonium. And um, and went and watched the Freddie Mercury tribute at Wembley on my own. Wow. Uh, and I went there early in the morning and I queued up and, uh, you know, uh, I, I had a seat. So I sort of sat uh, on the Brian side out to the right. And there were two really nice uh, women sat next to me who just sort of kept half an eye out on me. You know, my parents were... This is, this is the thing. So my obsession with Queen had got me to the stage where... I was able to convince my parents to let me even do that, which had sort of, you know, I wasn't listening to it on a Walkman anymore. I was playing it in my dad's car the whole time, you know what I mean? Um, and I did. I went to that thing on my own, and, and my memories of it are as vivid now, what is it, 30 years later? Something like that, as it was... 28 years, isn't it? 28 years, as it was there and then, you know. Um, and also... 
I got to see everyone. <laughs> I got to see Elizabeth Taylor. I got to see Liza Minnelli. I saw Spinal Tap live, you know, uh, and all these amazing Guns N' Roses, all these amazing bands. Um, Extreme just smashed the entire day. They understood what the whole day was about and they really got it. Um, but the, the whole thing was such a, an incredible experience, such an overwhelmingly uh, amazing experience uh, that it did help. It genuinely helped come to terms with just how sad I was about losing Fred. And I think I'm just as sad as I was then yeah. about Fred. I miss him just as much now as I ever did. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that that was... A, a, an incredible memory and I've seen a lot of great live bands ever since but the only ones that have ever been as good as that day have been Queen Simon, what's what's your amazing Queen fact about you? You must have about thirty. Well, I, I again, I've gone back to sort of the, the childhood, really, and um, I learned uh, how to play the drums when I was a, a teenager. Mainly, I did percussion, really, because I could join orchestras. Because I went to an all boys school, and if I joined the orchestra, there were girls in that, so um, there was an incentive. But uh, I, I had a drum kit at home. And I used to practice the drums by putting the headphones on and trying to play along to uh, Queen albums, um, which was great fun. But I remember it must have been late 86 when uh, Queen had done uh, the Magic Tour and they showed uh, live at Wembley the edit uh, they'd made of the film from live at Wembley on Channel 4 and played the sound on Capital Radio at the same time. And it was the first ever independent television and radio simulcast. So you could turn your telly down. I don't know why you'd do that, but you could turn your telly down, (laughs) watch the pictures on Channel 4, and listen to the music on Capital Radio. So, of course, I taped the concert off the radio so that I could then put it on my cassette machine and play along. And I did it so many times that the tape got wound tighter and tighter. And what I didn't realise at the time is that when that happens is when you play it back, it gets faster because uh, <laughs> the tape is so tight. And I couldn't work out that by the time we got to tear it up, which is about 15 minutes in, I was completely knackered. And I was like thinking, how how does Roger do this for two hours? And I can't even get past <laughs> song five. I've you know, I've managed to do one vision. I've kept up in Tie Your Mother Down. I've, I've had a breather in Lap of the Gods. Um, okay, Seven Seas Arise is a bit challenging, but now I'm on Tear Your and that's it. I'm finished. And it's because it was playing about one and a half times the speed that it should have been. <laughs> that's my excuse anyway. <laughs> but, but it was oh, great fun amazing. trying to play along, you know, to, to, to them live. And, and uh, thanks to the simulcast, uh, I could do that. Sometime, baby, let's have a party It ain't no time for sleeping, baby Soon it's 
London in 2012 I signed with a new agent new comedy agent and um, his name was Chris and at the time he worked for a company called Phil McIntyre Entertainments and after putting a few two and twos together I was in the shower and I realised I had the same touring agent as Queen because <laughs> Phil McIntyre look after Queen and Adam Lambert and also um, look, sort of produced We Will Rock You the musical um, actually I'm not 100% sure they do do Queen and Adam Lambert overseas but they certainly that it was Phil McIntyre presented uh, We Will Rock You the musical so anyway I, I then bonded with a lot of the people at Phil Mac because I would just come in and talk about Queen and I would ask them about Queen and how's Brian doing and how's Roger doing and so anyway, I got a few nice things out of that. I got to see the final ever performance of We Will Rock You when Roger and Brian went on stage. I also um, got to see Queen and Adam Lambert, the O2. But the best thing that happened as a result of that relationship was I was on a friend's stag do. I got a call from my agent saying, are you sitting down? And I said, yeah. And he said, Queen are doing a New Year's Eve gig Um live from Westminster City Hall and it's going to be shown live on the BBC and they wondered if you would go and warm up the crowd for them. Wow. And half of my brain as a comic is screaming, this is going to be a nightmare, I'm going to die on my ass, it's going to be horrible, I do not want to do this, I do not want to do this, this is going to go badly. And the other half of my brain is thinking this will mean you technically supported Queen. <laughs> so my, 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 I said to my agent, what, so what do they want? And he said they want an hour and a half of stand-up before Queen come on. And I said, that's not, that's not, that cannot be what this is because I would have to turn that down because that's not possible. He said, well, couldn't you do an Edinburgh show? And I was like, there's no way I can, in front of, I think it was about 500 people, who bear in mind there's no alcohol in the venue and because it's in Westminster, it's in the New Year's Eve fireworks lockdown. So once you're in, you're in. I was like, there's no way I can do an hour of of stand-up that's unrelated to Queen. This is just my, this is like an anxiety dream. (laughs) So we managed to arrange it that I would do sort of 20 minutes of warming the crowd up. They'd then get a, like a, a blues musician on just to sort of keep them occupied. So anyway, get there. I leave the stag do early. I get a backstage pass. I get a tiny little dressing room. I realise that next to my dressing room, behind a curtain, is Brian and Roger's makeshift dressing room. Uh, And I go out and basically just do like... It was almost more like being a TV warm-up or, you know, someone at a festival between the acts. So I get the audience clapping and foot stomps and doing Freddie Mercury impressions and all this sort of stuff and and then Queen came on and I watched it from the back just uh, just behind where the the cameras were on like a little rail to to get the shots and afterwards there was a sort of a 
backstage party and I got to talk to Brian and I got to talk to Roger and I've still got the backstage pass and the little sign sort of saying warm-up artist dressing room with the Queen and Adam Lambert but technically I, I wouldn't I'm not lying when I say I supported Queen <laughs> on stage. Not at all. that is a brilliant claim you legit did did you just so you just vamped about Queen essentially for that whole I just sort of worked out what what crowd games could I get going that were Queen related because by the time I came on they'd been in the venue for an hour and a half two hours it was still going to be another hour before Queen came on. So as a comedian, it's the worst worst case scenario. As a yeah. Queen fan, it's yeah. the best case scenario. Yeah. And before the gig started, when they were setting up, I went, oh, I was looking at the stage and Brian was there setting up his guitar and his amps. And I went on stage and he showed me the Red Special and he showed me his backup guitars and he had a little... Um, little Lucky Badger that he had on the Vox AC30s. So... As someone who was obsessed with Brian and his guitar and started learning guitar because of him, to actually be within, I'm going to say, 19 inches of the Red Special <laughs> and to see all its flaws and the little bits where the varnish has kind of come off. I'm sure I mean, it may have been restored since then, but it looked like a, a well-used guitar, not like it looks in all the pictures where it's kind of gleaming and polished and perfect. It was... Um, incredibly special uh moment that's amazing was were the audience did you find the audience were actually incredibly friendly because they were queen fans or were uh, they, <laughs> they were um, they were understandably a mixture of friendly elements and incredibly impatient elements who didn't seem to understand that because it was live queen were coming on at midnight that's when they would be on so it's half nine and you're on stage getting people to kind of do uh, the We Will Rock You foot stomps or whatever to warm them up. And and they seem to think that it, I was the one in the way of Queen. And if they could yeah. somehow get rid <laughs> yeah. of me, Queen would be on sooner. But I, I did have to keep reminding them, guys, Queen are on at midnight. That's the whole point of why we're here. I'm sorry uh, that I can't speed that up in any way. Um, but, uh, oh, no, that was, was the year where, where, where Queen fans won New Year's Eve yes. forever. Yeah. It was yeah. an amazing, that was an amazing night. I loved that. It was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah. We are the champions. We are the champions. No time for losers. We are the champions. So you're listening to The Queen Pod with Suze Kempner, Simon Upton, uh, John Robbins, and myself, Rohan Acharya. Um, we're just doing this episode zero to kind of just uh, share with each other how we kind of got into Queen, our connection with Queen. And uh, the last thing I thought we should do, and when I say I, I should say it was John Rob. John Robbins had literally all of these ideas. <laughs> N- none of these ideas were mine. I've just been saying they're mine in case anyone. <laughs> but this is maybe, your this um, is your I'm journey, so... Rohan, to yeah, go but to, to rediscover Queen, and we are merely your uh, aids in 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 getting you through these uh, sides of the albums. We're enablers, really, aren't we? That's what we yes, are. Yes, we're yeah, enablers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, I'll take that. I'll take that. Dearly, thank you. Um, so uh, the last idea that John had was um, <laughs> uh, just to just to uh, tell each other like about the favourite Queen-related thing that we own, which I think is brilliant. Um, so, Suze, what is your favourite Queen-related thing? I 
dreading to find out. Okay, when I was 14, my birthday present was, I got to go, it's 1999, I got to go and see Killer Queen at the Harlequin Theatre Red Hill. Killer Queen are a tribute band that, as far as I know, are still touring and probably still do the Harlequin once a year in February. Um, as far as I was concerned, it was going to be the greatest night of my life and I wanted a Queen t-shirt to wear to the event we didn't have that kind of family money to stretch to a queen t-shirt so i made one oh. now i i do still own this obviously because i'm going to show it to you i'm just going to i just want you guys to know i don't have skills in fashion design <laughs> um i sing and i write but i do not have any artistic skills beyond that so here is my homemade queen t-shirt that 14 year old Sue's made using some holographic sequins. As you can see, I stuck Freddie Mercury's one on first, but then I got a bit better at it. Like the Freddie one, it, there's some issues with it. Whereas the others, uh, they look like they were professionally done. I've written the band's names in black marker pen and then stuck some, uh, what would you call that? Like craft glitter over their names, but it's quite subtle. So that is my homemade Queen t-shirt that I wore to see Killer Queen uh, and I was the envy of the crowd with my bespoke item. That is genius. I'm going to say that's, that, that's better than quite a lot of official merch. That looks amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's you all... did the proper cues. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah they're, the they're all slightly tail. different. I also, I used to have, I bought a Levi denim jacket in a charity shop for about a fiver and I used all of the sequins that were left over to write on the back Prince of the Universe oh. <laughs> oh, brilliant. so I was like that's me I'm Prince of the Universe but I don't have that anymore because I wanted just the jacket so I had to sand all of the sequins off <laughs> that I, I sort of awesome. picked the sequins off and then sanded off all the glue so I could wear the jacket again I regret that because I think that Prince of the Universe <laughs> that was amazing, that was amazing. Uh, a friend of mine actually... said, why have you ruined a perfectly good jacket? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, by improving it enormously. <laughs> that is hard to top. Mine is also T-shirt related. Uh, this had been, I think this was around 2008. It was the uh, Cosmos Rocks tour, I think, with... Um, Paul Rogers, the second tour with Paul Rogers. So I have seen Queen live whenever they have been live ever since the Freddie Mercury tribute, right? So uh, I went to the uh, Brixton Academy gig the first night of them coming back, uh, Return of the Champions. It was an amazing night. But um, on the second tour, I hadn't got tickets. And uh, one Mr. Simon Lupton rang me one evening and said, uh, what are you doing next Wednesday? I was like, uh, nothing, because by this point I knew Simon was connected to Queen. So anytime Simon did something like that, I just go nothing. So whatever, whatever it was, I didn't even look. It was just nothing. Whatever, whatever you want. And he went, uh, any chance you fancy going up to Nottingham? I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even know why. And he went, oh, all right, yeah, I've got, got got a few tickets to see Queen. I was like, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, can you think of anyone to bring? So I brought Paul Burns. You guys might know Paul. He's Ed Burns' little brother. Really good mate of mine. Uh, also a massive Queen fan. So the three of us jumped in my uh, in my car and, and drove up to Nottingham. Uh, and the seat Simon had for us was... Stu- I was literally sat two seats away from Fred's mum, from 
Jair and his uh, and his sister and nephew, who was the spit of him. It was, and we 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 were literally. It was, the seats were amazing. It was the it was the year where they had that phalanx and Rog had the drum kit built around him, and it was it was an amazing amazing gig, absolutely amazing. At the end of it, I I, I just had a very brief interchange with. Uh, with Fred's mum of just thank you and it was an amazing moment I can't believe I've even got that as a memory um, and then Ro- Simon was just sort of dilly-dallying about leaving the venue and he sort of you know he was sort of just as we came down onto the floor and he's sort of looking at the stage going yeah you know uh, the crew will sleep in hammocks during the gig and wait for the music to finish and as soon as the, they hear the music's ended they strike the whole thing and put it in trucks I was like oh right okay and then he just suddenly turned round in the dynamic swoosh and just slapped my chest and uh, and Paul's chest and we looked at our chest and there was this square blue sticker on the t-shirt with the initials BM on it at which point I had a genuine a genuine I don't know what you describe it so was it a panic attack yeah. I literally had to I had to I had to bend over and start breathing as heavily as I could just to get oxygen into my system. And Simon took us into this room of about 50 people and we watched Brian slowly make his way around the entire room until right at the very end he's starting to come to us. Simon turns to me and Paul says, um, don't embarrass me, chaps. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and Brian sort of comes up and salutes at Simon and... Uh, <laughs> And Brian and I have this little chat about um, uh, about the set list and like how knackered he is and where the adrenaline is and all that. And uh, uh, and I've never met anyone from Queen before, uh, so I, my mind is just exploding. I look at Paul and Paul can't speak. He's literally <laughs> just going, just shaking and just his eyes are goggling. He's useless to anybody. He's not. He's just not there. Uh, and anyway, I get through this conversation without embarrassing Simon. Uh, and Brian says, well, you know, actually, I am a bit knackered now. I think it's probably time I make my move, but it's lovely to see you. And starts walking away. And just as he's walking away, I go, Brian. And he turns back and he goes, yeah. And I said, thank you. And it was like, it was like a thank you for everything. Thank you for introducing me to all of music. Thank you for getting me through puberty. Thank you for, uh, you know, a lot of what I do... Uh, for a living has been informed by Queen's attitude to creative and business and all of that. You know, I mean, it's it. I do what I do because of Queen. You know, and um, uh, and he and, and and he just sort of went, yeah, he just <laughs> nodded and just did a little, yeah, because he gets that all the time, doesn't he? You know what I mean? But it was one of the most beautiful moments when you just you know this idea of never meet your heroes. I did meet him, and it was a it was just. It's still absolutely, by far and away, one of my favourite memories. So, yeah, I have uh, a Queen Absolute Greatest Hits t-shirt that I bought out of HMV in a panic between Simon's phone call and the gig, which was only a couple of days, I think, uh, and, 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 and the uh, backstage pass on that, which uh, is a treasured, treasured thing. And thank Aww. you, Simon. No, it was a Speaking good night. Of Simon, it was a great show. You're right, that bit night. where Roger would go out and do his drum solo with just a snare... And then they would build the rest of the kit around him as he was doing it. It just started with sticks. It was brilliant, yeah. Amazing. I think he played some bass lines on a bass with yeah. his drumsticks. That's he played like Under Pressure. <laughs> it was amazing. Brilliant. Under pressure. Pressure. Uh, what's your thing? Well, I know what your thing is, actually. 
but what is your thing, Simon? Well, I, I hope you don't mind me being too sentimental, but um, going back to being a member of the fan club and um, that, that, that sort of uh, that time in 1991 when, um, when we lost Freddie. And it was a really, um, it's a really strange experience because, uh, like everyone at the time, I found I was essentially grieving for someone who I knew so much about but actually had never met and didn't know at all. It was a very strange thing. Uh, and also, of course, grieving at the the thought that there would be no more Queen music, you know, that that would potentially be it. Because at the time, we couldn't imagine what, what could possibly follow or if, you know, the rest of the band would want to do anything else after that. So it was a very strange time. And the fan club, bless them, um, sent out a magazine quite soon after Freddie had passed away. And in it... They um, produced this little thing, which we'll find a photograph of. You can't really see it. It was a little um, special pamphlet that came with the fan club magazine, which was a tribute to Freddie. And it's got loads of things, just like pictures of, you know, photographs of Fred in, you know, throughout the years and so forth. Um, there was a uh, sort of a message from Jackie. There was a message from Hollywood Records at the time. Um, but what was the most thing is the first two pages, I don't know if you can see, was a letter from Brian to the fans that he'd written on behalf mm. of him, uh, Roger and John. And um, it's just a really beautiful letter. And it's actually dated the 27th of November. So it's only three days after Freddie had passed away. And he's written this wow. really long letter to the fans, essentially thanking them for for everything but sort of saying how amazing freddie was how he'd recorded the innuendo album in you know so much you know pain and discomfort but that his voice remained strong it was a really moving letter and then at the very end the final paragraph he talks about look no matter what the despicable press his words the despicable press why, why don't why don't you actually just read the all right final i'm not gonna read the whole letter but i'll read this this last paragraph he goes, um, one final word. Whatever the despicable press may have made out, Freddie had nothing to be ashamed of. He had lived life to the full and was generous to everyone he came close to. His announcement, made by his own will, only when he knew his fight was over, will, with our help and yours, be a major factor in persuading the public that AIDS is now everybody's problem. But Freddie, his music, his dazzling creative energy those are forever and it was sort of for someone who was sort of trying to get his head around the fact that freddie had gone and all i could hear was what i was reading in the press to get a, that letter from the band um was just brilliant and i've treasured that yeah. and i've kept it for some reason i don't know, just kept it 30, what, 28 years ago now 29 years ago hmm. and i still have it um so yeah i would say that's my most treasured possession along with a photograph so i've got signed by freddie but that's stuck on the wall well I there's that you yeah. see that's what i thought you were going to talk because you've got a photo on the wall signed by freddie yeah via someone you knew yeah so uh my girlfriend you've at the time, and... her friend lived next door to mike moran who oh, um, wow. was a composer and a brilliant pianist who basically co-composed and co-produced um the barcelona album with freddie and so it was about 1988, so um, it was when they were working on Barcelona, 87, 88, and Freddie would be going to Mike's house a lot. And so this friend of my girlfriend's um, knew Mike very well, but saw Freddie on a number of occasions. So one day collared him as he was at Mike's house and said, I've got 
uh, I know this guy who's a massive Queen fan. Would you sign something for him? And to his credit and to my eternal gratitude, Freddie scribbled on a photograph of him saying, to Simon, best wishes, Freddie Mercury, which they sent to me. Aww. So that's that's probably my most treasured possession ever. Wow. But that, that magazine, uh, God bless the fan club for that, because that meant a lot at that particular time. Yeah. That's incredible. Wow. Wow. Mm. Amazing. I actually worked with Mike. <gasps> Sorry, I, I worked with Mike about four years ago on a show um, and, uh, you know, got into Queen as quickly as I could. <laughs> with him. Um, and he's great. He's such a nice guy. And we recorded a load in his studio. And he said, oh, I've got some um, stuff that no one's heard. Do you want it? And uh, so I have a um, clip of Freddie that w- just saying, "Hey Mike, get your rocks off." Uh, I have that on my wow. in my emails, oh. so I can. I'm I'm happy to share that. Oh <laughs> yeah, next time can we have that? <laughs> yeah, I want that for my text messages. <laughs> no, yeah. That's not appropriate. Um, uh, that's amazing, Simon. My God, I just thought you were going to tell incredible. me that uplifting story about the the photo from Fred, but actually, yeah, what a time. Holy yeah. <laughs> That's, um, yeah, really special, man. Mm. So, John, what are you dropping? Because I feel like you have a lot of Queen-related stuff. (laughs) Well, I'm just sat here in front of my Freddy shelf. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, I, I mean, you can't see the whole shelf, but there's my uh, Freddie Mercury Christmas cracker. <laughs> <laughs> Unpulled, we should Unpulled. say. Unpulled. There's my uh, Freddie Mercury doorstop. <laughs> uh, here is my framed photo of the Miracle Express before it was turned into the Miracle Express. Wow. wow. So th- these are all bits and bobs that people sent in to Radio X, basically, Someone sent me in their Freddie Mercury tribute concert T-shirt, um, and 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 you receive this stuff thinking, why the hell are you parting with an original yeah. Freddie Mercury tribute concert T-shirt? But then, if you just went because your mate was into Queen and bought yeah. a T-shirt, it doesn't have that meaning. Whereas yeah. it's like I've got unpublished photos of Freddie that people sent in from gigs and stuff. However, my item when I was probably thirteen, fourteen. Uh, we all started doing DT in school and it was the big moment was that you got to decorate your DT folder in a way that you didn't decorate your French and German books, which everyone used wallpaper for, for some reason that I still can't understand. <laughs> DT being, because for us that was detention. Design technology. Oh, design technology. Oh, wow. <laughs> right, okay. I, I, like Sue said, I'm very similar. Nothing to do with my hands, creative drawing anything I'm terrible, terrible, terrible at. However, the the scale of the project was such that I knew I had to exceed myself. So we you, you basically you were given a plastic um A2 folder that it was more of a like a little sort of plastic briefcase and people would put like Man United stickers and stuff. Mm-hmm. I created what remains to this day my masterpiece. Uh, so this is the front uh, of oh, the Queen wow. folder, and uh, these. Oh, brilliant. So basically, it's a collage of Queen, taken from various calendars and books and and things. And uh, on the back, 
the other side. Oh, um, brilliant. That's oh, the whole range as fantastic. well. Fantastic. It's everything, really. And in the middle, yeah. there's a little sort of um, paragraph about Queen from a book. Uh, I bought duplicates oh. to the books because I wasn't willing to deface my books. And <laughs> my uh, crowning glory was I took a photo from Freddie. Uh, this probably a photo from the Miracle there with yeah. the waistcoat. Yeah. And I cut, he was on a Shay Long. And I cut the Shay Long out and I replaced it with the remaining three members of the band <laughs> from the back cover oh. of uh, oh, from the back of Made in Heaven. Made in Heaven. That's so he's brilliant. sort of he's sort of looking after them there. And on on one side somewhere it says John Robbins ten G. So that was my favorite. <laughs> That's and, incredible. Uh, and that was what I walked around school with every day. That is brilliant. <laughs> oh, it also that's dub- so gorgeous. It doubles as a very efficient bully magnet. Uh, <laughs> what did you keep in it? So, well, uh, my work, uh, but also my uh, my fan club magazines. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Should, oh, yeah. Cool. should yeah, I have circle. needed them at short notice to settle an argument um, about various formats of uh, release? Brilliant. Well, that's incredible. What a lovely, lovely set of ideas you had for us there, John. <laughs> made in heaven, made in heaven. It was all to be. Well, there you have it. Well, we thought this would be like 20 minutes. We genuinely thought this would be episode zero, 20 minutes, bang and done. But um, what a lovely thing to get to share and actually... Uh, this is exactly. This is exactly how I want to be spending lockdown. <laughs> this is exactly. This is making me feel so happy and so warm and fuzzy. And I hope it is for you, listening. Uh, we would love you to get involved if you're enjoying this. Um, if you have a well, you'll have a story about how you got into Queen. Please send them to us. You can email us at queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. That is the best way for you to send us those. You can send us questions that you want us to discuss. Uh, you can out-geek all of us with your Queen knowledge and, and prove that we... Certainly I have no idea what I'm doing. I've already learnt an enormous amount in this session. If you subscribe and do loads of likes and tell all your Queen fan mates to listen, then we will get to do more of this and hopefully hold your hands through this crisis and beyond, which is really what this is about. Um, You know, Queen got us all clearly through the hardest of times uh, and we can totally uh, kick this as well. Um, So uh, I I would say for now, uh, you know, see us on episode one where we're going to be talking about the first half of the Queen album in as much detail as possible and we will hopefully continue to do that with more albums to come and um, follow us on twitter and instagram because we're going to put up photos of our queen items yes. so you can yes. see them in the flesh you can see Suze's t-shirt my beautiful and, t-shirt and uh, rohan's backstage pass and simon's um signed photo and my oh. dt folder that <laughs> dt folder and that t-shirt are literally what people want to see um <laughs> so follow us at the queen pod on instagram and the twitter again if you have stuff that you want to send us the email address is queenpod at the so until next time keep yourself alive bye everyone bye, bye. 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 bye.
has been The Queen Pod, a Seven Seas Films production, edited and produced by me, Fergus March. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Mm-hmm.